going, Mike? I'm doing fine. Normally record on a, or quite often we record on a Friday. We're recording on another day, and uh, it feels good. It feels like a different, uh, <laughs> a different time of day. Different I feel more vibe, alive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, I've been How are you doing? for a little while now. Um, now, today we're, we're going to be talking to Dr. James Thorpe, uh, who we actually we interviewed Dr. Thorpe's brother, the other Dr. Thorpe, Dr. Ken Thorpe, well, maybe beginning of January. And, we got a lot of great comments on that one because uh, he's. You're, uh, I'm sure you're the same, but your brother is so alive, Doctor Thorpe. You know. Oh my gosh, Ken is. Uh, Ken is honestly, I think, the most brilliant physician I've ever met in my life. Um, wow, wow. He's just so well read, and and he's. It's been like a hobby his whole, his whole career. I just focus on what he does, and he's taught me a lot. Right. Oh wow. Yeah. And so I'm gonna actually. This is gonna be a little bit different. This podcast from most of them because. It's going to be start with a very personal story from me. Now, some of you may have, I've probably mentioned it in my blog a couple of times, but I've never talked about it at length. So this story goes back to almost exactly two years ago. In fact, it might be exactly two years ago. Um, it was the Saturday before Palm Sunday in 2021. And that was when the vaccines, the COVID vaccines had just been rolling out. And uh, th there was a crazy, you know, remember if everybody remembers how in the early days of the pandemic, the first year, it was just nuts. And for us, we, we have a farm and I had a couple of hogs I wanted to take to the butcher, but the butchers were booked a year in advance. And I had this one hog, <laughs> had to weigh 400 pounds and I had to get rid of them. So I had to do it myself which I don't mind doing, but that's a large animal for me to do by myself. So uh, I was in my backyard butchering a hog and uh, a family friend came to visit my mother and my mother was living with us at the time. She since died. She uh, she was a dementia patient. Somebody came to visit us. And so I didn't get to visit with them and, and they weren't going to come out and see me <laughs> if I was butchering a hog. But anyway, they did visit with my sister or with my wife a little bit. And uh, so what happened, one of the people who came to visit had recently been vaccinated and she wasn't feeling well. And a couple days later, my wife, Bonnie, started to have very out, out of the ordinary menstrual bleeding. And, and she didn't tell me about it for about a week or so. And it was not going away right away. I mean, it was not normal in any way and she was getting blood clots the size of her fist and then she finally told me right after easter what happened i said well could be menopause could be something and she said i know it could be i thought about those things and, but my wife has born eight babies and nursed all eight of them and a few days later after she told me what happened she comes into my office i was working at home and she says, I think I know what it is. And she showed me her phone. And on her phone, she had an article, which I think might have been an uh, op-ed from the New York Times. And I don't think I can find I've looked for it again, and I can't find it. And it was a, from a woman. I'm not even sure if she was a physician, but the title was something, uh, uh, you know, when, uh, COVID vaccines and menstrual periods, what you need to know kind of thing. And she showed it to me. And in throughout in the article itself, it was talking about how some women who were getting the COVID vaccines were experiencing irregular menstrual periods, and some of them were very heavy with blood clots, and, and my wife's actually were every two weeks, and she said, I think this might have been what happened to me, and, and look further, and she scrolled down a little bit, and in the comment section was stunning. It was filled with hundreds of comments of, of two things, other women who had had similar experiences, who had been vaccinated, and women who had not been vaccinated, who had been in pro close proximity to recently vaccinated people and started to experience the same symptoms. Now, not like a week or two later, I heard from a friend of mine I hadn't seen in a while. And I'm texting her because she had, and she said, what's going on? I said, oh, not much, how about you? And she said, why is it my husband gets the vaccine, but I get the symptoms? And so what happened eventually with my, with my wife, you know, she eventually went to see a physician and found out that she had uterine cancer eventually. 
and had to have a hysterectomy. And um, my friend, our friend, thank God, didn't hers didn't go that far. But so, and we asked, you know, so when she was going to the to, to, to the hospital and talking to people, I said, well, you, should, you know, and they wouldn't let me go with her because you couldn't accompany anybody at that time. So I said, well, you got to ask them if they think it might be the vaccine or tell them what, what, what you experienced and what you read. And they all kind of blew it off. You know, they didn't take her seriously. And when I would tell people who are friends of mine what had happened, they, they wouldn't take me seriously. They thought I was, you know, imagining things. Um, but I'm not. And then, uh, but I, I was convinced it was, if it wasn't, connected at least it, it, somebody should check it out right because it seemed like too many people were having that happen and then um and so she had the hysterectomy in november of 2021 and thank god she's cancer free now but eventually you know there was still a lot of conversation and once twitter was freed from the fbi and the cia people are actually able to have free conversations on there and I, by that time, I had been aware of through mutual friends and, uh, in fact, the former guest of our program, Therese schroeder Sheker, who was friends with Ken Thorpe, who was sharing me with me articles that that Ken and and Jim and their wives were were writing on various things, and I've been keeping abreast of it for a long time. But what happened? So when when Twitter was freed from the cage people were able to speak freely on Twitter and Dr. Thorpe was on, became, was on Twitter about this time. And, and I happened to listen to uh, one of those Twitter, I don't know, conversations, spaces. or what they call them, Twitter spaces. spaces. And I heard Dr. Thorpe speaking there and just so, so happened that that same week I had been, uh, I started following Dr. Thorpe's wife, and she followed me back. And because she followed me back, I was able to to message her and tell her, "Listen, you know, you know, I thank you and your your husband for the work you're doing." And I told her what happened. And you know, I said I'd love to talk to you and your husband or whatever. And I gave her my phone number. And within a half an hour, Dr. James Thorpe gave me a phone call, and which to me is. <laughs> what the doctor is you know so welcome to the show dr thorpe thank you thank so you. much for being here. thank you very much mike and thank you for having me on me on your platform um it's it's such an honor to be with both mics and and also uh thank you for uh, sharing that really personal story what a great segue um because I have a few questions about that when 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 we get around to it. Um, yeah, so I so I know and now I know you're an OBGYN, so I and I know you you've been very vocal and making yourself present to the public on this. And so let me ask you, I mean, and, and the thing is part of our our intention here is not to to slam the medical profession. But to you know, as is in our podcast, we want to reimagine what medicine could be because I think we could say that, you know, at least in some quarters of society, the medical profession might be at the lowest uh, lowest ebb ever uh, because of the what's happened with the last three years. And so maybe we could just start with asking you what and, and what drew you into this uh, this this controversy. How did this happen to you? For me personally? Yes. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, I was in, in the mainstream allopathic medicine for um, most of my career. And, you know, I think I was pretty much hijacked um, by the medical industrial complex in terms of my believing in the medical industrial complex and their journals and the information they put out. And, um, and, and Kenny... Ed, my older brother, and I, um, we took really different paths um, since medical school. Um, but a, a lot of my, I, I was never an anti-vaxxer. I, I, uh, I really didn't believe um, the vaccines injured. I, I didn't believe the stuff that RFK Jr. Um, espoused or um, even 
even the the pediatrician that that works with him, who who now both of them, uh, they're they have really really um, taught me the truth, and and I've pushed vaccines in pregnancy. A lot of them I pushed uh, influenza vaccine, which was a mistake, and I pushed um, the pertussis vaccine, which is also a mistake. I came to that realization oh around 2010, and and my older brother and and. My oldest daughter and, and many others were very influential, um, as was RFK and uh, Andy Wakefield, Dr. Andy Wakefield were really key in opening up my mind. And I did a public apology and metanoia and repented. And it's a very liberating thing. And I um, want to try to assemble the rest of my physician colleagues around the country, 98% of whom have been vaccinated to undergo the same type of metanoia that I underwent, but it's very, very challenging to do that. Oh. What really put me on this was that I, I knew that in, in early, um, you know, first of all, my eyes were opened by all the preparation in 2019, but you know, in 2020, the first thing we used to treat all these patients was uh, hydroxychloroquine and ozone. Um, and it was extraordinarily effective. And, um, you know, I had used hydroxychloroquine now for almost 44 years in pregnant women, even in the first trimester in breastfeeding moms, that's how safe it is. And, you know, I, uh, Maggie, my beautiful bride uh, that um, you contacted, she, uh, she researches with us and she's published with Kenny Ed myself. And, uh, and, you know, she's pulled off, she's a great sleuth and a writer herself. And she pulled off some of the, uh, from the, stuff that the CDC and the FDA erased or took off their platform. Uh, she went back in the time machine and got all their pushing of how safe hydroxychloroquine was in pregnancy in the first mm -hmm. trimester and breastfeeding moms and in children saying, you know, it's literally, we use it all over the world. It's safety profile is unparalleled. Well, then all of a sudden they won't fill my scripts for mm -hmm off-label use in 2020. And then I'm berated and mocked and scoffed. And that was a real, that was a real come to Jesus moment for me in terms of understanding the fraud behind this. Wow. Incredible. You know, I seem, I, I think I'm right when I remember this, uh, <clears throat> was this early, early in the rollout of the vaccines? I, weren't you the guy who filmed himself with a colleague with a magnet, where the at the at the port where the vaccine was administered, was that you? I that that was that was um, I filmed a lot. We published on that too. Um, yeah. We what we did was in 2021 when all these vaccines came out, and then the there was on social media all these allegations that there was. A, um, that the vaccine in the arm caused the magnet to stick. And um, I just simply didn't believe that, um, or I wanted to see it with my own eyes. I did see it with my own eyes, but then I said, I, you know, I, I need to study this more formally. So we ended up getting over 250 patients um, from all over the country, actually, including Hawaii. Um, and what we showed was conclusive, and definitive and uh, undeniable. And that was that it was not the COVID-19 vaccines, but actually there were just as many people that were unvaccinated that had the magnetic att attraction, not only to the neodymium magnets, but also to three sizes of unmagnetized paper clips. Really? So that's indisputable and it's irrefutable. Now, Kenny, Ken uh, Thorpe, my brother, and I uh, have kind of divergent takes on that, if you will. And we just talked about those the other day, which is uh, really interesting, which I suppose we could get into, although Ken probably wouldn't like that. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, he sees things a little bit differently, which is great because we have some really spirited discussions. And of course, he's so brilliant. And just letting our listeners know that uh, Dr. Ken Thorpe, our episode was entitled Ether, uh, at least Ether is in the title. So to, if you're looking for the episode where Dr. Ken Thorpe was interviewed, look for the word Ether, the Regeneration Podcast. Uh, continue, Dr. Thorpe. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, that's all. Um, no, so, so there's that, but now, what did you see with your own patients though? Well, with, with my own patients yeah. um, in terms of, um, you know, uh, in terms of my clinical practice, what I've seen is just de devastating um, injuries, uh, pregnancy loss, uh, death and destruction. Interestingly, not with COVID-19, but with the vaccine. Really? Mm -hmm. and, and you uh, mentioned something about 2019, something beginning in 2019. And I think I, I didn't know exactly what you were alluding to. So a few moments ago, you said beginning in 2019. What were you referencing there? Well, I, I think that all of the live action um, uh, drills, all, all of the play action, the LARPs uh, yeah, that, right, right, right. that are sitting around the table um, with a mock-up, this is in the fall of 2019, saying exactly <laughs> what's going to happen and exactly what the response was going to be. It was rather stunning to me. Well, and I was, I'm an English professor. And at the time, I remember, teaching that that semester in 2019 and beginning of 2020 i remember mar remarking to colleagues i said i have never ever seen so many ki sick kids in my entire career of teaching so the, i mean a third almost half of the class would be out some days and they all had the same thing in fact my daughter my eldest daughter had it too and it was uh some kind of bronchial infection that had flu-like symptoms but they, no one knew what it was they just treat it with regular or the other counters, hydrochloroquine or whatever, right? But I, and I suspected then, well, later when when they closed the school in twenty in March of twenty twenty, I, I suspected you know what these kids probably had this thing back in the end of twenty nineteen, and in the beginning of twenty twenty because I had never ever and I'm teaching for thirty years, never seen so many sick kids in my life. Well, you know, that's a good point. I mean, uh, and it wouldn't, it's not hard to prove. And actually, it has been proved, and you're 100% correct. When they uh, went back just last year in 2022, they went back and harvested uh, blood samples that were drawn in 2019 from darn near every single geographic sector of Italy. And a huge proportion of those patients had SARS CoV 2. Really? So you're right. Um, so, I mean, it's all, I mean, it's all disturbing. <laughs> it's all disturbing. Now, my own experience, now I've had really great doctors through my life. In fact, we had one doctor when my wife and I were first married and our children were little, uh, Dr. Khalsa. He's, he's since stopped practicing medicine. But I, we hit one of the kids, you know, they were little and they get colds and stuff and it doesn't go away. So I called Dr. Kalsa and he said, well, I'll just stop by on my way home. <laughs> so he made a house call, right? So a great doctor. Um, and then I had another doctor. It was, it's a kind of a funny story. You know, my wife always tells me I'm such a horrible judge of character and I, I, she must, she knows me well, <laughs> but, but I picked her. But uh, what happened? One summer my daughter my youngest daughter is now 18 she, so she must have been five four or five she got swimmer's ear and it wasn't getting better and i wanted to take her so i took her to a local clinic right by in our neighborhood and we lived in the country and the doctor was so sweet and so gentle with her i said you know what next time i have to go for something i'll go to him he seemed like a nice guy so i went to him nice guy and he's listening to my heart he's ah dr martin you you have a heart murmur. I said, really? I've never heard that before. So he, and he scheduled me for, for cardiogram and I had to go into his office and they're hooking me up with all the things, you know, and I'm there for two weeks, for two hours. And then I, I had to go back two weeks later and the follow-up and I meet with his assistant. She says, well, you have a heart murmur and your heart only works at 60%. I'm like, how long do I got doc? And so I went through all this stuff. Then the insurance company wouldn't pay for the test because it was performed in an office and not at the hospital. And I wasn't going to pay for it. And so then my insurance changed and I could actually go back to a doctor of my choice for it again. What to the, my new doctor who was, uh, was uh, like a MD naturopath. <laughs> He's going to listen to my heart. And I said, well, doctor, I should just tell you, I have a heart murmur. And he goes, okay. He was, he's listening. You don't have a heart murmur. I said, maybe it went away. They'll go away. So what is it? Well, then I figured out what it was. I had been played 
by that other doctor so he could get the money for the test. I and but I was such a horrible judge of character. I I I I didn't think to look beyond the surface. Now, so so the, so part of a, what we want to talk to you about is, you know, and and I think that doctor was probably not the norm, but probably not unheard of what he was doing. But what do you think is a uh, what is it that's going on with the, the medical profession that needs regenerating? Well, uh, I'm, I'm, here an I'm, I'm just doing this. Time, you know, so yeah. Eight hours, yeah, uh, right. I, you know, I think that part of the problem is, you know, getting back to your wife's complaint is that, you know, science involves the questioning. And when you censor questioning, then you have fallen into the traps that we've done over the last six millennia. Mm -hmm. I mean, over and over and over again. Um, there's usually a few truthers that come out and make observations and see that the state narrative or politically correct narrative, whether whether this is back in Aristotle's time or uh, or Galileo's time or Ignaz Philip Semmelweis's time. Doesn't matter what has been done before will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Mm -hmm. right. So um, this is this is the way groupthink works and the way power works. So um, you know, like for example, your wife's story. You know, I think we were the first to publish that through uh, Tiffany Parato. Uh, she was a See the lead author. I was a second author, and there's a whole group of us um, with that decidual cast shedding that we published. And and um, for your listeners, you can go to Google Scholar and just Google Thorpe J A or Thorpe K E K T K E, um, and and you can get these manuscripts. But the Tiffany Parado decidual cast shedding manuscript was really a landmark article, and. Um, but the reason why Tiffany started uh, MyCycleStory.com was because exactly what you said. There were tens of thousands of women on her Facebook group, all noting severe menstrual abnormalities associated with the vaccine. Um, and um, they were thrown under the bus, completely mm -hmm. deplatformed right. because it was not consistent with the false propaganda disinformation lies that the government was pushing to line their own pockets mm -hmm. with money and, and power. So when we published that about a year ago, <clears throat> what we learned was that of those people that called in um, that self-reported these, and these were not like a late period or like a, a few days of spotting. No, these were catastrophic menstrual yeah. issues. Just to give you an idea, the most severe form of menstrual disturbance is called decidual cast. And when you have a decidual cast, it's like delivering a small baby. It's extraordinarily painful, extraordinarily bloody. And it's, it's where the whole inside lining of the uterus, the endometrium is actually shed intact. So it has the exact shape of a triangular shape of the inside of the uterus or the womb. And, um, just in the last 110 years or so, there's 50 or so of those cases published, actually less. In the first, in, in seven months of 2021 after the vaccine, we had over 290 cases. Wild, yeah. You know, uh, less than 50 cases in over a century. And then, so clearly something was going on. Now to your wife's point, uh, it, is it okay if I talk about that, uh, if I may, or is that something that's, that's okay. uncomfortable? Are you that's sure? Okay. Yeah. I mean, because um, what we found in that group, Mike, was that um, a large proportion, I, I, I wanna say an upwards of 70% were not vaccinated. They came within six feet of close contact, either at home or at work with a recently vaccinated person. And there's no question from that study that there is something being shed. Mm -hmm. And nobody can argue that because when we go back and look at Moderna and Pfizer internal documents before the drug was rolled out, before December 1st, 2020, 
they warned the vaccinated to stay away from um, intimate contact with pregnant women. Right. They knew that something was being shed. Mm-hmm. So um, that- What is that shedding? Was, what is shedding kind of, uh, could you give us a visual, like what that seems to imply? You know, I have a vaccine, I shed. What are we thinking? Something comes out through the air? What, it, you know? Yeah, so uh-huh. a couple of issues. And um, the, the shedding, there's, there's no question that, that the spike protein, which is one of the 27 proteins, I believe, that is coded for by the pseudo-uridinated mRNA, um, the man-made, uh, not God-made, not natural mRNA mm-hmm. um, in the vaccine produces. So um, that, that is definitely, that's 180 to 200 kilodeltons. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, 1,200 amino acid sequences. So it's a small, uh, relatively a small molecule. Um, and, and, that sur- and we know that that is a, that's a bioweapon. That's literally a lethal uh, spike protein, which is causing the endothelitis, causes a lot of the death and destruction, which we're seeing the died suddenly and so forth. But that's not the only candidate. Um, last year, um, this is very, very scary. The pseudo-uridinated man-made mRNA. Um, let's take it from injection into the right deltoid here. Uh, within hours, the lipid nanoparticles, uh, are you familiar with those, uh, the lipid yeah. nanoparticles? So they're in the blood within hours. Lipid nanoparticles are in the size range of, say, 10, 20 micrometers, uh, uh, I'm sorry, nanometers, nanometers, 10 to the minus ninth meter, um, 10 to 20 up to 200 or so. And they are covered with a, a fat, what we call lipophilic membrane, which will partially allow it to stay intact in an aqueous solution like in the blood, but it's distributed to every part of the body. There's absolutely no question that it, crosses every single barrier that God made, including the blood-brain barrier, the mm-hmm. blood-testis barrier, the blood-ovarian barrier, the blood-placental, maternal-placental fetal barrier, even the fetal blood-brain barrier, and the fetal gonad barrier, they're right. all broken. So lipid nanoparticle is another component that could be shed, okay? But we don't know how long that's around, but let's take this within hours you got the lipid nanoparticle. It's actually now being taken up by every potentially every cell in the body. Mm-hmm. And when it's being taken up, then the lipid nanoparticle is best I can fathom and understand physiologically that it's broken down. And that intact mRNA, pseudo-uridinated man-made mRNA is repackaged into a natural exosome covering and the exosome is like the excretory mechanism of a cell. So it sheds that out back into the blood. And with an exosome now, which is more of a natural covering, if you will, physiologic, and it's actually uptaken by ductal cells of the breast tissue, and it's excreted in breast milk, the exosomes with intact pseudo-uridinated man-made mRNA to the baby. Now, that's another candidate you ask for the shedding. So it could be the spike protein. It could be the lipid nanoparticle. It could be the exosomal pseudo-urinated mRNA. Now, let me tell you why that's especially frightening, uh, Mike, because if that goes into the breast milk and if it's shed intact to the baby's gut, that could potentially be life-changing for the baby, not in a good way or for humanity. And if it goes to the ductal cell in the breast tissue, guess what? It goes to every other excretory organ, your sweat glands, and it's probably sweat out. Yeah, yeah. which is what happened with, with Bonnie, the, the person who was visiting her, her hands were sweating. And, and that's what Bonnie suspects of it. And it's interesting, not only that, but that same week, my two youngest sons who were then 10 and 12 started having uncharacteristic nosebleeds. That's classic. Yeah. That's classic. So 
here's my question to you, and I don't mean to say anything that could stir up some angst or whatever, but here's a question we have right now that we're trying to answer all over the world. Um, and that is the shedding. Did it contribute to your wife's uterine cancer? Because a uterine cancer in your wife, okay, for a woman that's had, you said eight babies, mm -hmm. that's, that, that's pretty rare. Yeah. I mean, cervical cancer, okay, maybe, but not uterine cancer. And that's what we've been seeing is these turbo cancers, these massive multiple foci, multiple primary cancers that arise de novo and literally kill people like within months, we've never seen this before. And people now all over the world are seeing this. So, you know, here we have a, you know, your wife who is a prime suspect because her risk of uterine cancer should be extremely low, but she develops a uterine cancer, you know, after she's exposed to potential shedding. And then that brings up other questions. What about all my other pregnant complications in my non-vaccinated pregnant women? Mm -hmm. Could they lose a baby um, from shedding? Um, could they have all the other pregnancy complications that I've seen from shedding? Right. We don't have the answer to that question. Um, so <laughs> those, those are the main components. Well, you don't have the answer and neither do I. And so when we tell people what we thought was happening, well, how can you prove it? <laughs> I don't have a lab in my basement. I'm, a, I'm an English professor. Okay, I'm not that kind of a doctor. But but also, I just heard recently a friend of mine from Canada who around the same time, she went to a grocery store, just happened to go there, and there, there was a vaccine clinic there. And what happened with her is a few days later, she had Bell's palsy. And then a few months after that, she had shingles. And was she vaccinated? No. And a few months after that, she had a heart attack. And she asked me if I knew anything about shedding. I said, well, I can tell you what happened to my wife. I'm no expert, but this happened. Said, Do you think what I had? I said, yes, I think it could be from that. But the thing is, as I told you earlier, no one will look. No one That's, will look. No, nobody wants to ask questions or look because um, th there's, there's only a downside. None of my colleagues are even asking now about vaccines. They don't want to know. They don't want to know. They don't want to ask. They don't want to be put in a position where they have to report something. Now, you know, why do you think that is? I mean, my, my, my thought, you know, even with people who are not physicians, who don't want to think that could have been a thing, right? That they could have taken something that was detrimental to their health or to the health of others. Um, what is this mechanism that preventing people from metanoia like you mentioned earlier what do you think that is that's a great question and um the, the the there's multiple tiers of hierarchical evidence uh that that would um push that blindness um if you will willful blindness if you will first and foremost let's let's give these my colleagues some grace which i know you will because this was the most unprecedented um, fifth generation warfare in the history of humanity, never ever before. And just here in the United States, just let's think about this. Um, let's do a timeline. Okay, the, the vaccine, uh, I'll call it the jab because I, I, it's really inappropriate to call it a vaccine by no definitional criteria does it meet uh, the definition of a vaccine. So let's not lie and let's call it whatever we want to call it. The C-19 shot in December 1st, 2020. So we'll fix on that date. Um, and then Pfizer's 5.3.6 was completed uh, less than 90 days later, February 28th, 2021. So think about that. So February 28th, 2021, the CDC, the FDA, the HHS, everybody in our government in, that the vaccine was killing people and injuring pregnant women. Because if you go to that document, and by the way, I've had that document for over two years. Um, and that document, if, if your viewers wanna pull it up right now, or you wanna put it on the screen, just uh, go to a search engine, not Google, a non-Google search engine, and type in Pfizer 5.3. 0.6 
PHMPT, PHMPT. Your first hit will come up with this document. It's a 30 page document. This represents Pfizer's internal data of the first 90 days of rollout. They were not supposed to include pregnant women in there, but they did. And um, that is incontrovertible, it's undeniable, and it's irrefutable. Um, if you pull that document up right now and go to page seven, there were 1,223 dead people after the vaccine. Dead people, 1,223 died after the vaccine. Uh, when Kenny and I were in medical school in 1976, we were second year, third year medical students. And for the uh, uh, swine flu vaccine, there were only 26 deaths in a few cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome that was immediately removed from the market. And then the rotavirus at the turn of the century, there wasn't even any deaths. There were a couple dozen cases of intussusception, uh, an unusual bowel complication, not rare, but uh, that occurred. And, and it was uh, ultimately found to be unrelated to the vaccine, but it was immediately removed and stayed off the market for five years. So something is very, very different. So, um, so fix those dates. So if you go to page 12, there were 274, uh, um, fetuses in 270 pregnant women, and the miscarriage rate was over 80%. And there were all types of 45% of the pregnant women that got the vaccine had complications. Um, so it's a horrible, horrible, um, um, horrible, horrible novel substance. And we, we broke the six millennial sacrosanct golden rule of pregnancy where you never ever use a novel substance in pregnancy. You don't have to be a PhD, an MD, a nurse. You don't even have to be a kindergartner to know that. God indwelt us all with that innate knowledge that pregnancy is sacred. You don't, you don't eat certain cheeses. You don't eat certain fishes. You don't eat certain mushrooms. You don't drink alcohol. You don't take novel drugs. So that was broken. Now, what happened shortly after that, when they had that data, what they did was unprecedented, and this goes to fifth generation warfare. Your tax dollars, the Department of Health and Human Services, your corrupt government, endowed, they created an agency called the COVID-19 Coalition Corps, CCC, and endowed it with $13 billion. And the sole purpose of that was to eliminate vaccine hesitancy. That was their stated goal. And so that occurred in February, March of 2021. Okay, now they already broke all the rules. They already had the data that was killing and injuring pregnant and non-pregnant patients. And then later on in, um, in, in May, June, is the um, fraudulent, corrupt, completely faked New England Journal of Medicine article by the lead author, Shima Bakuro, um, who really should be up in front of a tribunal right now, because uh, all of these 21 authors, all 21 authors had a major conflict of interest. They were all government employees. They're all government employees, mm -hmm. all 21. There were three OBs and Shima Bakuro, the head of it was the head of the vaccine safety committee for the FDA and CDC. This is the most egregious violation of a conflict of interest, he never should have been allowed to do that. Um, and, and I can, uh, you, you know, I've spent hours and hours um, critiquing that article. So can you imagine that you have mm -hmm. false data, you use the most powerful medical journal in the world, and you put the New England Journal of Medicine stamp of approval on it, and you blast it off to the entire world saying, look at this is safe. It's necessary, it's safe, and it's effective. All pregnant women have to take this. That's what they did. Mm -hmm. And they right. were knowingly having knowledge that it's deadly. So they killed a lot of my patients around the world. They killed a lot of my patients around the world. Well, you know, I because I, I, a lot of what I teach in college is teach, you know, young people how to write an argument, how to do research. And one of the things I often bring up, you know, people say, well, do the research. Right. And we know, and we've been knowing we've known this for a long time, how much fraudulent research there is, especially in the medical and scientific communities, because that's where all the money is, right? I said, you're not, you know, you're not gonna find fraudulent research in 
metaphysical poetry <laughs> scholarship because there's no money in it, right? But I'm going to go back to something you said about, about uh, vaccine hesitancy, and I had a theory about this. Now, in my own family, we've always been vaccine hesitant, and we only gave some of our kids some of the vaccines um, way back. And they, that used to be in the days when you could get them separately. But once my now 22-year-old was vaccine injured, we stopped altogether. And so the, all the kids after him, nothing. Um, but what I noticed, this is right before all this stuff happened with uh, with the COVID thing. And it seemed to me at that time that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his work, that the the vaccine skepticism movement or, or the anti-vax movement, whatever you want to call it, they were gaining momentum and they were, they were, I thought they were about to reach critical mass. And part of what happened, what I thought when this, all the stuff with the vaccine stir, stir, first came out in 2020, 2021, that there was the empire strikes back, that they were trying, and, and remember there was this famous meeting of Robert Kennedy Jr. with Donald Trump, where he told them, where where he got the Bill Gates message to back off on the vaccine thing. Because before that point, I think Trump was interested in seeing what Kennedy had to say. And and, and, he, and he quashed it. Now, do you think part of this, I mean, you, you're talking about was how to go after the vaccine hesitant. Um, did it seem to you that, that this was reaching a critical mass before this point? And do you think it's done anything to vaccine hesitancy in the, in the interim? That's a great question, Mike. Um, I think that I, I didn't really recognize um, a gaining trend in the vaccine hesitancy. Um, well, let me say this. I did in myself. Um, you know, from 2000 onward, there was just an increasing awareness of me being increasingly uncomfortable with the vaccines, where I would talk to my moms, and I would push the vaccine, and I would uh, then listen to them and listen to their real cases of real children being totally beautiful and normal. And literally from the time, you know, within minutes of the vaccine, they're like permanently disabled with severe nonverbal autism mm -hmm. and such like that. I've seen so many of those cases. So that, that, that started to um, cause a lot of vaccine hesitancy in me as I gave more of these women and moms and fathers a platform. Um, you know, patients like both of you and your wives and your beautiful, brilliant wives and listen to them. And that's what we need to do as physicians is to listen to our patients. That's what we're taught in medical school. We're not doing that anymore. We're, th we're throwing, we're forcing down our dictates to them and telling them what science is and that's wrong. So I don't know if there was a trend or if it was just me. I, you know what I heard is, oh, it's just, it's a kind of a complimentary thing to what Michael's saying, but this past the smell test for me is that um, you know, in the news prior to March of 2020, you know, that uh, a lot of the pills were getting bad raps, right? But the idea of a vaccine, it's almost the opposite, Michael. And it's not to disagree. It's just like, when I heard this, it kind of connected for me. Everybody had heard stories of like this pill had so many side effects. You'd just be talking with friends and we'd mimic the fact that, you know, you saw an advertising for this pill that set in the, that was going to save you for everything, but it had all these side effects. But the vaccine name, the idea of vaccines was still relatively glorious because it had saved people. So that big pharma, I don't want to use words that could be too, too simplistically used, but people who wanted to make money, you know, could harness of putting out shoddy new drugs, but the word vaccine was actually still kind of relatively untarnished in comparison with pills. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. doubt. Yeah, you know, and, that, and that, that type of idea with just the notion, you know, I wanna introduce here too, because I think a lot of the listeners are saying, you know, kind of how did this happen? And, you know, Michael set the stage with, um, you know, your career, Dr. Thorpe, and like what's happened in medicine. But a lot of these podcasts, as you see, and I see a, a cross on the wall behind you, Dr. Thorpe, is, um, you know, the issue of power you mentioned, you know, and uh, your brother and I talked about Ivan Illich and medical nemesis and so forth. But one of the things that seems to happen, and uh, Illich pointed out, it was first in the Catholic priesthood, 
is where when under uh, Charlemagne, in Charlemagne's time, his librarian Elquin, you get the merger of the priesthood role with the pastor role. And Ivan Illich would say, this was the birth of the first professional. And in one sense, we're dealing with professionals, you know, and again, when we talk about medicine or like the, uh, the educational enterprise and so forth, we're talking about various priesthoods to me, at least it's the language that I appropriate it. And you can, you can almost get pretty far by merging priesthood with the advent of the professional. And what you get with the professionals is that you get a, uh, as Americans, we should be allergic to this. You get an, uh, an amalgam of the legislative, judicial, and executive functions all wrapped into one. You know, so we have priests who could say they disagree with you and, and they say, I think you're not holy and I think you're not praying right. And, you know, and that your liberty, if you're, if you're a self-respecting person, you say that's kind of creepy. You know, you're diagnosing me and prescribing, you know, you've merged all these functions. And, um, you know, because I think, you know, where I, I'd like to see the conversation touch at some point, too, is like, again, how this all happened. But, um, you know, so the medical profession, um, Again, I work at a university. It's the same thing. They can diagnose. They tell you you have a problem. You didn't necessarily feel you had a problem. They tell you you do have one, like the psychology, uh, the psychiatric profession. No, you do have a problem, even though you don't know it. And I have your cure for you. All this stuff, in another way of saying it, priesthood, professions, and tyranny. A lot of this is tyranny, right? And that's regulatory <laughs> capture too, right? How the these professions that had amassed so much power to diagnose, to say what your problem is and to what you have to take for it. When they took over the regulatory agencies, that's what I was thinking of when you mentioned this article in the New England Journal of Medicine that had all these priests um, you know, writing a pseudo-critical article of the Catholic Church. It never goes well. You know, Their main job is to protect the establishment at all costs. You know? Same with Galileo, right? Absolutely. Yeah, what, what goes wrong? <clears throat> There's nothing new under the sun. I, yep. you know, you're you're absolutely right, Mike. That's a, a great example, you know. And and um, we, um, yeah, the merging of the priest and the king. Mm -hmm. Of course, we we all know who only true merger of a priest and king is. We, we yeah, absolutely, Jesus Christ. But even the priest and the uh, pastor, you know, it used to be the priest was somebody who commanded an assembly. We made sure the priest had five fingers. He had a good voice. He could stand still. Then all of a sudden you got this pastoral role, which can be really smarmy, right? You know, that um, you could come into me for grief counseling and I could really abuse that relationship. But only in the year, say 800, did Catholics, we're just one instance, we felt that somehow these kind of liberating devotions, maybe the Stations of the Cross, that somehow they were better with a priest there. They were more authoritative. You know, and that's where um, you started to get this folding in of the executive, judicial, and legislative functions. And so the priesthood, which thanks to the priest scandals kind of falling apart, the, the immediate respect we have, but to a Catholic, there's priesthoods everywhere, you know, and I'm kind of allergic to them because um, I see their tyrannical, I see their tyrannical uh, M.O., you know, um, doesn't mean every. Uh, I've, I've yeah. never heard that um, that Senate, uh, that uh, comparison before, but it's really brilliant. I it's really, really spot on. I've never heard that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I'm going to steal it from you. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, you know, I in, in this in a way, um, see what uh, what what came before this this tragedy we're talking about today. I mean, it was really the rise of that the kind of scientific materialism that's been percolating through through the culture for a few decades at least, if not 150 years, starting with the the Enlightenment, with this and this idea that um, I believe in science, <laughs> right, right. So this so science or the medical profession in the last few years has become the new priesthood, right. And Fauci was the Pope. He was right? the Pope. Yeah, he really was. You know, he would say, oh, he said this. You know, people would basically watch those, those horrible press conferences up with Trump, you know, waiting to see the, the daily announcement from the Pope as, as, if they were, as if they were being blessed. In New York, we had that and we had Cuomo, right? And my son lives in Columbus, Ohio, and they had those Fauci things and Governor DeWine, which he called like wine with DeWine every <laughs> afternoon. 
because you're locked inside and you know you'd get kind of punch drunk or really drunk and you'd listen to governor mike dewine tell you the new shackles they were going to be putting on you now you know, we we went from um you know that timeline again picking up where uh dr michael was talking about we december 1st 2020 yeah the, the jab is rolled out uh, february 28th 2021 90 days later we have all the horrible lethal data in pregnant and non-pregnant women. Then immediately thereafter, $13 billion through the CCC to eliminate vaccine hesitancy. Then a few months later, June of 2021, the fraudulent uh, lethal disinformation that the medical industrial complex, Dr. Tommy T. Shimabakuro and colleagues put out in the New England Journal of Medicine pushing the vaccine and pregnancy. Then a month later, all of the boards and all the organizations pushed, pushed the vaccine and the jab in pregnancy. And then what happened two months, three months later, September, every single board and medical organization in the United States of America stated, gagged physicians and nurses in the United States of America, you spread misinformation about COVID and the vaccine and we'll destroy you. Mm-hmm. That's the ontogenesis right there. Yeah. It was a feta complete. Those those dates are set in stone. This the rollout of this vac, fatal vaccine was a feta complete in pregnancy. And I'll remind you, pregnancy, um, and and this is the beef that I have with uh, DeSantis and Ladapo down here in Florida. They speak with forked tongue. You know, they use the children and they select. They have a very oxymoronic, schizophrenic stance towards this COVID thing. You know, they, of course, you know, they're beyond childbearing ages, I guess. They have children. They've they've come out and talked about how bad it is in children, but yet totally ignore my patients, women of reproductive age, pregnant women, preborns and newborns. It's it's schizophrenic, it's oxymoronic, and uh, there's it's very disturbing to me because I've been communicating with them in writing and in um, several other modalities, person to person for over two years, and they really wanna ignore this data in the most vulnerable patient population that right. God made. It's not children, it's pregnant women. So mm-hmm. um, I, I have a real problem with, with what they've done and what the medical industrial complex has done to my pregnant women uh, globally. Um, you may be aware that you're probably not aware, but just, um, you know, Ken and I have published extensively on this and um, uh, uh, Ken wasn't on this most recent publication, but about a year ago, uh, we began um, pulling the government data uh, and Ken and I have published on the government data and pregnancy uh, uh, in the past, but um, we designed a trial ex- uh, study. It was a retrospective study that looked at exactly Um, how the CDC and the government recommend that they do the research comparing a novel vaccine with a prior vaccine that was deemed safe. So that's what we did. We used, uh, we looked at, we used as a control group, the influenza vaccine, um, and it was approved in pregnancy in the midst of 1997. So 1998, January 1st to June June 30th, 2022, we looked at 282 months of influenza vaccine in pregnancy as a control group. And we compared it to just 18 months of the uh, uh, COVID-19 vaccine. Well, and the CDC and the FDA use a danger threshold of a twofold increase. You know, Michael and Mike, what we saw was absolutely catastrophic. Mm-hmm. It was not a twofold increase. We saw tenfold, fiftyfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold increases. You know, uh, the increase in menstrual abnormalities which was the only one of the 18 uh, variables that was non-pregnant, almost a 1,200-fold increase in severe menstrual abnormalities in patients getting the COVID-19 vaccine compared with the, uh, with the uh, uh, influenza vaccine. Keep in mind, the influenza vaccine was used for 60 years before the FDA approved it in pregnancy. Think about that, 60 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So now the risk of miscarriage was increased 57-fold. The risk of stillbirth fetal death was increased 38-fold, and fetal chromosomal abnormalities, uh, severe um, bleeding in pregnancy, severe uh, malformations, 
fetal growth restriction, fetal cardiac arrhythmia, fetal cardiac arrest, fetal cardiac malformation, severe preeclampsia, preterm premature rupture of membranes, fetal death, um, abnormal fetal organ perfusion, and premature delivery and premature baby dying from uh, the complications. This is what we found. This is not Jim Thorpe's data. This is not Ken Thorpe's data. This is not your data. This is not your opinion. This is a government data. This is governmental data analyzed exactly the way in their biased way of using another vaccine group as a control group, because we all know vaccines, even the influenza vaccines has death and injuries. So to use that as a control group is giving an advantage to pushing the safety right. of a right. vaccine. Mm -hmm. Now, if, um, you know, some people could be listening to this, you know, just start to feel terrifying and so forth. Do you talk about like over time, have we seen any change over time? And like, if you, if you were a woman, a pregnant woman, and you had taken the vaccine, you know, are, are you somebody who has looked at the research, you know, a health regiment of, you know, extra sun or whatever it would be, you know, but I'm sure there probably are some women listening right now. And their question would be like, what do I do? Here's what you do. Don't take any more poison. Stop mm -hmm. the poison. Don't take any yeah. more shots. Yeah. Okay. And I just, I want to give, uh, um, I, I want all the viewers to understand that the shot was never necessary. Never. There was an alternative. Mm -hmm. I just looked at that Zeb Zelenko video from three years ago, which is just unbelievable, where he actually did the video to Trump and says, you know, I'm curing all my patients with early treatment. You know, can you imagine that? I mean, now my friend, Dr. Ben Marble, that doesn't live too far from me, he's a freedom fighter like I am, medical freedom fighter. He started uh, the president and CEO of MyFreeDoctor.com. He's treated over 300,000 patients in all 50 states pro bono with early treatment. He's only lost six patients. And those patients had advanced disease before he got started and multiple comorbidities. Mm -hmm. Do the math. That's a 99.99% success rate. Zev Zelenko was absolutely right. Yeah. Good, good. Now, now, I don't know if we can answer this question, but, but it's, it's the question everybody should be asking. Why? Why did this happen? And yeah, why, let me frame why, it. Why, yeah. have they, why hasn't it stopped? Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I was going to ask the same question in terms of um, like you're, you're close to this. Uh, something gone wrong and hiding it, you know, something that a very few know about, something that a lot know about at a certain point in its genesis. Um, and again, you, you could be honest saying like the best way that I could connect the dots would be this at this point. But again, I know a lot of our listeners would say, how are you, how are you kind of tying the threads of this together? Like Qui Bono, who came up with it? Um, you know, we have a friend, Michael will quote it many times, so do I, a friend who's the show many times, Guido Preparata, and his tagline is, conspiracy theory is too important to be left to conspiracy theorists, you know? And so the way, the way people want to shut down any investigation into anything is using the word conspiracy theory, as if nobody ever met in a room and made a decision on something that was bad for people, you know? So we know, once you think about it, let's drop some of that term, let's qualify it. But then I think sane people could say, my dad, when he was talking about Kennedy, he would always say, I don't know, I've never met a group of more than 20 people that could keep a secret. That's okay, that's a benchmark. I can start working with that. You know, maybe in some of the things that have happened in history, it's more than that or less than that. Uh, so to re-echo Mike, but I just editorialized a little bit, what's the, what's the, uh, what's the grand picture, the framework that you're, operating under to kind of understand some of this, like what happened and why? Well, I try not to philosophize and, and theorize about why, why it all happened or judge people's hearts, but I, I look at hard, cold data. What I am absolutely um, willing to stake my life on is that this is an extraordinarily dangerous, unprecedentedly dangerous uh, alleged vaccine in my patients. And I will stake my life on that. It's killing and injuring my patients. Now, as to why it it, it has happened, I mean, I think that um, I think that you know, gosh, it's um, 
it, it's pretty self-evident when you look at the facts. You know, you look at uh, Dr. Peter Bragan's book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. I mean, that's a six, 700 pages with 1,200 references or something. I mean, when you start rolling out those facts and you look at, uh, you look at uh, Dr. Peter McCullough's book, you look at uh, Dr. Uh, you look at uh, uh, RFK Jr.'s book. I mean, and many other books. When you put the facts out there, res ipsi loquitur. Mm -hmm. When you start having patents, all the way back to the turn of the century, developing novel mRNA platforms, cui bono? Well, it's clear, and this is no longer. You know, all these experts know that this is now a DOD. This is a military operation. The, the, uh, the actual contracts are not with Pfizer and the government. They're with Pfizer and the military of every single country which Pfizer is operating on. It's a separate contact with the military. And it's uh, the DOD, uh, DARPA, and BARDA developed this. It's, it's very clear, it's, that's not conspiracy, that's fact. So what I see is JFK, you know, the, the JFK, you know, Eisenhower in 1960 talked about the military industrial complex. And by the way, that there was a government over a government of unelected officials that were calling shots all, all the way through this time period. And, and Ike called them out and, and he actually slipped that in there where he said the medical industrial complex, that was ad lib, that was not put in there by the speechwriters. And Kennedy picked up on it and told him he was gonna splinter it into a thousand pieces. And six months later, he's assassinated and he paid a heavy price. His brother was assassinated. Maybe his son was uh, taken out too. I, I, I won't speculate There's on that. There's a story too that I've read and I think it's verified is that, um, he was originally going to say the military, industrial, and scientific complex. I read that from the author Patrick Deneen at the American Conservative some years ago. I think it was Deneen. Yeah. Hey, let me share something with you. But guys. The, I was just going to say that the term that I use, my preferred terminology, is now that DARPA and BARDA and DOD has taken over the medical stuff. It's uh, you know if we had taken them down 60 years ago, I think we would have been fine. But we've let them morph into now the medical, military, industrial complex. And you know nobody's held them accountable, right? Mm -hmm. well, so check this out. This is from a book I had my students read this last week, one class. The first sentence. This is the first paragraph. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate the unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. This is from Propaganda by Edward Bernays. It was published oh. in 1928. And I had the, the Adam The Adam first. Curtis videos on that is great, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Well, I had the students read the first paragraph and said, <laughs> talk about it, right? And they, they, were, they were stunned because they can wow. see it all over the place, right? And so we had, we had some conversation about who, who do you think the invisible government is and is there such a thing? not convinced there is. And you're aware, Dr. Thorpe, that that author, Edward Bernays, you know, the founder of modern advertising and Sigmund Freud's nephew, I believe. I did yes. not know that. Yeah, he's a, he's a really fascinating figure. He's not like a hidden figure, but he's, uh, you know, he was the one who just said, um, you know, he just, he single-handedly made cigarettes fashionable for women. You know, they weren't fashionable and he just, he came up with the yeah. exact plan to how, to how to make them fashionable for women. So he is seen, even in marketing schools, as a grandfather of like, you know, Madison Avenue. And, and, a, and a political rhetoric too, because he's the guy who came up with the, the phrase, making the world safe for democracy, right? Mm. Which means... We're going to come and destroy your country and take all your gold. <laughs> Disaster <laughs> capitalism. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you guys wrote about you and you and you and Ken wrote about that recently, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, we should probably wrap it up a little bit. I want to keep you from your patience and your and your, your important work. But Dr. Thorpe, thank you so much for this enriching hour and some minutes. It's been a blessing to me, and and, and like I said, God bless you and your work. Yeah, so thanks for all you're doing. Yep. Thank you. 
Dr. Michael and Mike, and I uh, have really, really enjoyed this uh, conversation with you and, okay. um, and keep up the good work. I really, really appreciate um, your wisdom. Thanks. You understand. do the same. And, and we thank everybody for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. And we will see you again. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel.